Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandy. Today is our last day in the series on Anatomy Revival. We're talking to pastors about what to look for in a church, how to overcome obstacles, and how to be free from the responsibility of all people after you preach the Word of God. Sound good? It is good. Let's go to the Word of God together. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. This is number 12 in our series on the anatomy of revival. The closing part of chapter 18 of Acts, all of chapter 19, all of chapter 20, all deal with one subject, the beginning, the peak of revival, then the end of revival, because revival doesn't last forever. And uh, But the purpose of revival is not more revival. The end result of revival is local churches. And so that's what we have. And where Paul came into a town where there was one synagogue and no churches, he's now leaving with the one synagogue still there and hundreds of churches that over the three-year period of the revival at Ephesus has, has spread. And look, look at what Paul said in verse 20 here in chapter uh, 20 of Acts, Paul is having a minister's conference in the city of Miletus, 30 miles away from Ephesus. And here he is speaking to the pastor. He hadn't seen them for a year. The revival lasted three years. He's been gone for a year, visiting churches he's been to before, relaxing, take a vacation. And then on his way to Jerusalem for the, uh, for the Feast of Pentecost, instead of going to Ephesus, Paul stops at Miletus, 30 miles away, asks the pastors to break away from the church, break away from the office, break away from the staff and the congregations and come for two or three days and just hear some refreshing things from Paul, the apostle who God used to start all this from the beginning. Now they've come in verse 20. Here's what Paul says to them. He says in verse 20, I kept back nothing that was profitable to you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. This is how Paul began in the three years of that revival behind the scenes he was working. The first thing he said was, I didn't furl the sails. The Greek word therefore, how I kept back nothing is the Greek word hupostello. It means to furl the sails. We're going to run across it one more time in a few verses from now. He'll use the the same word over again. He simply says, when it came to the word of God, I opened up the sails all the way. In other words, if you want to slow the ship down a little bit, you know, the boat down a bit, then furl the sails to where not as much surface area is there to catch the wind. He says, I didn't do that. And there's ministers that do that. I've actually heard ministers say this. Uh, listen, I've been around it long enough to where I thought this way for a while. Then after a while, I thought, this is stupid. If you hold back stuff from the word of God simply because you think your congregation isn't up to it, then what do you do with a new convert that reads the Bible? It's all over the Bible. I mean, a new, a new convert can pick up the book of Romans. He might be scratched his head going through it, going, what in the world is this? But the point of it is, if God put it there for anybody to read it, then the pastor ought to teach it to everybody who's in the congregation. And just bring it out there and trust the Holy Spirit in them that is the same Holy Spirit in you. God forbid that God would put the same Holy Spirit in your people that he put in you. If you can understand it, they can understand it. And if they can understand it, then they can grow to be the same minister you are. If they're called into that minister, whatever they do, they're going to be a full success understanding the word of God. So I did not furl the sails. He said, but I have showed you and taught you the two aspects of the ministry. I not only teach you, I live it in front of you. I lived it in front of you. The same things I taught from the pulpit. I didn't say, well, I'm above that. I don't have to live it. No, if I'm part of this congregation and I preach it, you're going to live it too and I'm going to live it in front of you. He said, you saw me. Where did you see me? You saw me publicly preach it and live it and then house to house. 
preaching it publicly was in the school of Tyrannus where everybody met. And then house to house was the churches. He went and spoke in the churches and said, I was no different in public than I was there in those local churches. And look at, take a look at the next verse of scripture. And what does he say? Here's the first thing I taught you, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. This is salvation. Salvation is two things. Number one, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that repentance and faith walk hand in hand. Some people say, well, if you're going to you know, be born again, then you need to repent. I, amen. Some say, well, no, no, faith is what you need. Well, I give amen. But you know what? They're both the same thing. Those are both two sides of the same coin. If you come, listen, your repentance is not towards sin. Don't look at me like that. Your repentance is not towards sin. It's included, but your repentance is toward God. What am I saying? That a sinner does not need to repent of his sins. Jesus judged those on the cross. He needs to repent of his attitude toward God and turn toward God. God. That's what repentance is. And when you turn toward God, you now have faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. In essence, by turning toward God, you are turning your back to the world. You cannot face God and the world at the same time. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. You can't turn toward the cross without turning away from the world. Now, if you want to get into the fact that repentance simply means that you turn away from your sin, you are doing that. But here, this verse simply describes it as turning toward God is faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you get saved, but you're also turning your back on the world, turning your back on sin. And listen, this demands the moment you get born again, you're facing in the right direction. Just keep on walking. And this is the growth and maturity of discipleship. This is what's commanded you immediately after you're born again. John chapter 8, Jesus said to those Jews who just believed in him, now if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth. The truth shall make you free. You see, getting born again is just going through the doorway of the word of God. Now you need to stay with the word of God and grow into a disciple. Look at verse 22. Paul says, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that confront me. Paul said, here I am around people that I know, but I'm about to head into Jerusalem and already the Holy Spirit is beginning to warn me of things I'm going to face. Verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit witnesses, gives a solemn warning. The Holy Spirit gives me a solemn warning that in every city, saying that imprisonments and afflictions await me. Paul has been visiting many cities on the way to Miletus, trying to relax and has already been opposed by a religious people, by the Pharisees. Some laid a trap for him to kill him on a ship. And at the last minute, Paul decided not to get on the ship and walked though to his next destination. His friends, his minister friends and his team got on the ship. Paul wanted to be by himself and walked off. And he probably thought, I just want to be alone with Jesus for a while. Just the Holy Spirit, not have to talk to anybody. And he did that, not knowing it was the Holy Spirit that led him because now those assassins on the ship didn't get to kill him. But ever since he's been determined to go to Jerusalem, now he's being warned by the Holy Spirit and believers everywhere he goes not to go. Some are being told him, don't go. But he realizes this, no, I'm gonna go. And whether he made the right choice or not, I have my own opinion on that. But all I can say is he went. And in verse 24, he says this, none of these things move me. Neither do I count my life dear to myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul is simply saying these verses of scripture, I'm going. 
He says, I know things probably are there. The Holy Spirit warns me of all that's coming to pass. But you know what? His love for the Jews, his love for the gospel, his love for the Lord Jesus Christ, he was going to go. Verse 25, he says, and now behold, I know that you all, that's the pastors in Ephesus, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Now they did see him, okay? He says, it's possible. I like to think of what he said here is probably, you may never see my face anymore. And you know what? Probably the odds are I'm gonna get killed when I'm out there. But the point of it is you may see my face no more because of this, verse 26, I take you to testify this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. That word blood is not just speaking of physical blood. It speaks of responsibility. You remember when uh, uh, Jesus was about to be crucified and, and the wife came to the, to the leader and said, you know, I had a dream about him last night. And so he then, he took her dream seriously and he announced this to the people and said, I'm, I'm doing this because you want it. I'm going. And then he went over and washed his hands in front of everybody. And what he was saying was, I'm washing his blood off of my hands. I'm, I'm literally giving all this responsibility on you. I am not taking responsibility. You wanted this. I'm going to do it because you said it, but I'm going to wash my hands. Paul said, here's how you can be pure from the responsibility of everybody in your congregation. And he says in the next verse, I held back nothing declaring to you the, all the counsel of God. He uses this word again, hupostello, because I did not furl the sails. Same word found in verse 20. I did not furl the sails, declaring, teaching over and over again to you all the counsel of God. So he simply comes back to this. He says, I'm leaving here. You know why? Because everything God told me to preach, I preached. I didn't hold back on anything. He says, I worked it into all my sermons. I preached it to you. And some things might have been hard because you were sinners and you, uh, you know, and you came to know Jesus. You were heathen. You didn't come out of religious background. You guys didn't know the Old Testament like the Jews do. But I came and taught this stuff to you and I poured it out on you because you know what? You have the Holy Spirit living in you from the moment you were born again. And he is your real teacher. I just simply am a human teacher. I teach to you and the Holy Spirit in you begins to reveal these things. And once I did this, and I walked out of this city after three years, I am free from that responsibility. Ministers, you want to be free from responsibility when you walk out of the service on Sundays before you come back next week. The point of it is that uh, don't furl the sails. Don't hold back on them. Give them everything that God has told you. Now, I'm not saying there's things in your life you may not understand and still need to get clear. You don't need to preach them before then, but once you see it clearly, let your people know. Start working it into, into your sermons. Build sermons around the things that you have seen in the Word of God. And again, the importance of it is then you're free from the responsibility. You don't walk off thinking I furled the sails, held back on it. I just undid those sails as far as possible. And we went ahead full steam. Verse 27, he said, I have held back nothing. I have not furled the sails, declaring to you all the counsel of God. So again, Paul's responsibility was to teach the word of God to the people. He's free from their responsibility. If they fail, they were responsible, not Paul. He gave them the word. They're now responsible for their own decisions and the consequences of them. When a minister gives his people the word of God and then leaves nothing out, he is free from the responsibility over them. The pastor can walk away and knowing he has delivered all that God has told him to give. When the minister finally leaves this earth and enters into heaven, he can do so with the assurance he has preached all the word of God and left out nothing. Colossians chapter four and verse 12 tells us this. Paul walks away from these ministers knowing he has given them everything God has told him to. And Paul's conscience is free toward God and toward these ministers. When the congregation opens their hearts to the teaching of the word of God, it makes the pastor's job even easier.
Not only is the pastor free from responsibility, so are the people. Paul brings this out in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. When we come back after the break, we're gonna take up with verse 28, which to me is the culmination of this, of this teaching. It's like Paul points everything to this one, and ministers especially, we're gonna take this, and those of you called into the ministry, and those of you that just love your church and maybe have a job somewhere can understand the heart of the minister from verse 28. Again, what I'm offering on the broadcast is my book on the book of Acts, but also my book on God's word to pastors. And it's been redone, re-edited, redone, uh, put new things into it. And so maybe your understanding of, of ministry pastors will become even greater with this. So again, you can order that. And for those of you that are watching, I would love to be a partner with me. I would love for you to be a partner with me. Go to my website, bobyandian.com. You'll find a place on there where you can become a partner with me. Join in with a great group of people, a great army around me, a great group of helpers that bring uh, finances and prayer into this ministry faithfully so that we can spread this to even more and more people in more and more stations. Thank you. I'll see you right after halftime. At the dawn of the church age, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and power to his followers. From Pentecost, they were led by his spirit to blaze a trail through the hazardous maze of pagan cultures and religious legalism. Like wildfire, the gospel spread through the known world, bringing salvation to a whole generation and triumph and trial to the church. In a New Testament commentary on Acts, Bob Yannian explores the exploits of those sent to uproot the binding vines of religion and philosophy and to sow the kingdom of God. Through evaluations of early congregations and detailed descriptions of their cities, Pastor Bob walks us through the exciting, perilous adventure of the early church. Order a New Testament commentary on Acts at bobyandian.com. Many years ago, I wrote the book called God's Word to Pastors, and now I have updated it. Many new things I have seen from the Word of God applied into this book, and you're gonna be greatly blessed by it. I'm called to be a pastor, I trust you are too, and you will wanna get this book and become greatly impressed by what Paul had to say to pastors in Acts chapter 20. But I break this book down into, first of all, theology parts about how to minister the Word of God, how to search out the Word of God, but also practical application in choosing leadership in your church, church board members, a lot of other things are brought out in this book that I honestly think that's why I enjoyed this book so much and really, really wanted to update it. Many things I've applied in other books have all been condensed into one book. I think you're going to be greatly blessed by the new updated version of God's Word to Pastors. To order your copy, visit our website at bobbyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. All right, let's go back to our passage. I want you to take a look with me at verse 28 here in chapter 20 of the book of Acts. And this is, to me, the culmination, and, and we'll still get into some verses after this, but the culmination of what Paul is saying comes this verse of Scripture. Here's where it really comes back to this. Ministers, pastors, those of you who have uh, Bible study groups, those of you who might have a class, you know, a, a Sunday school class or else, you know, a home fellowship or something like that, 
take, take heed to this, okay? If Paul says take heed to it, then you need to take heed to it. And here's what it says in verse 28. He says, now, in other words, he's coming to this point and says, okay, here it is, finality. Take heed to yourself. The word here for take heed means pay attention to yourself and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit, notice it's not men, but the Holy Spirit, over which the Holy Spirit has made or appointed you an overseer. Here's the word for bishop. You are a pastor, but you're also an overseer. You never ever leave those other positions under you. You started out as a deacon, greeting, all those kind of things, still greet the people. Okay, you come to the next level and you become a teacher, still teach the people. You may have a bigger group than the four or five or 10 that were in your Sunday school class, but teach today like you did back to those 10. And listen, don't get upset if there's a dip in the size of the congregations on a particular Sunday, you started out with 10 people. Don't be upset if it went from 250 down to 200 in one week and then start building back up the next week. You're going to have those seasons. Next of all, it says, and to feed the church of God. The word here for feed is the word for pastor. To pastor the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Let's go through this, all right? I love these verses of scripture. Talk about this. Listen, Paul told the pastors, first of all, to take heed to themselves before they take heed to the flock. Don't fall for this when the congregation comes to you and say, well, you shouldn't take a vacation. Man, we need you here. And don't take time for yourself. The number one thing you should be looking after is the flock. No, the number one thing you should be looking after is first of all toward God, but the next thing is toward yourself. And he literally says, take care of yourself, then the church of God. Why? If you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to live long enough to take care of the church. Man, I don't. I didn't want to die at 45 or 50 years old and pass out from exhaustion. And then the congregation goes, what are we going to do? I take vacations. One man got on to me when I said my wife and I are going to be gone for two weeks on vacation. We're going to leave on a Sunday after church and be back the two two weeks later on that. So we'd only miss one Sunday. And I told him that this so-and-so is going to be taking this pulpit. And a man came to me and said, you should not take vacations. We are the church and you should take care of us. I said, let, I said, let me ask you a question. Do you take vacations? He said, yes. I said, does it do you any good? Well, yeah. I said, what's it do? He said, well, it gives me refreshing. I said, that's exactly why I take a vacation. I'm no different than you are. I said, and can't you work better when you get back after you've had a vacation? Well, yeah. I said, well, I'll be a better pastor when I get back. I said, you don't want me up here feeling bitter that I haven't had any time off or angry because I'm so tired or my wife is irritable because we didn't take a vacation this year. I go there and I said, besides that, I put sermons together while I'm sitting there by the pool. And, you know, and, and I'm sitting in the room. I'm putting things together. In fact, that's the best environment for me. No phone to ring, no counseling to do. I can simply be alone with God and work out those things in my life. So if a minister doesn't take care of himself and his own personal life, he'll not be any good condition to take care of the flock of God. So he must spend time with his family, take days off and holidays. And without these, he'll not live long enough to take the congregation to the next level where they need to go. Moses faced this issue with his father-in-law who told him to delegate responsibility so he could live a long time. That was in Exodus chapter 18 verses 17 through 23. Next of all, Paul told these men they were placed into their positions by the Holy Spirit. The office of the pastor is given by God, not given by men. Galatians chapter one and verse one, Paul an apostle, not of man nor of men. No individual placed me in here. No group of people put me in here. He says, but by God the Father and the Holy Spirit. So notice this again, it's God that put him into ministry. Ephesians 1, 1 says exactly the same thing. The Holy Spirit put Paul into the ministry. These men from, from the city of Ephesus, all these pastors were put into their position, not because 
because Paul laid hands on them, but God chose them and then Paul laid his hands on them. These bishops, these pastors, these overseers, Paul reminds the pastors to take the oversight. Notice this, the Holy Spirit made you an overseer, now take it. Just because God made you an overseer doesn't mean it's just gonna come on you and start operating. No, you have to take the oversight. You didn't give yourself the oversight. God gave you the oversight, but it's up to you to take it and begin to use it. Once the position has been given by God, it's up to the minister to fully accept the responsibility and boldly declare the authority given. The main responsibility of the pastor is to feed the flock. Oh, there's a lot of other things that go on, but that's your main responsibility. Yes, I had to take care of counseling at times and situations that came up and and handle funerals and things like that. But listen, my main responsibility was to feed the flock. And there were times, there has been times when things came at me so fast. One Wednesday night, I didn't didn't know what I was gonna do. I planned on staying that afternoon. Somebody died, somebody, an emergency came up. And I find myself, uh, you know, an hour before church started and I hadn't even looked at my notes yet and I didn't have time. And so I walked into that pulpit that night with full faith saying, Lord, I know this verse doesn't mean exactly what I'm about to say, but I'm gonna open my mouth and you're gonna fill it. Again, that doesn't mean you just open your mouth and God's gonna give you every sermon. But I said, I'm gonna have to accept that. If 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 I'm taking that verse and manipulating it, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna open up my mouth in faith. And you know what? I taught a sermon that night that blew me away. I thought, that was great. Even had people come up and say, that's one of the best sermons you've ever preached. Boy, was there a tendency after that to want to open my mouth and have God fill it. But no, no, I had to come back to studying, to show myself approved, preparing for sermons. Yes, God let me skate through that one because of circumstances. His grace was there, but I can't manipulate and then control his grace from that time on. Peter told the pastors under his authority to do the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. The word to feed in this passage is the word poimain, meaning to pastor the flock. The main responsibility of the pastor is to feed the sheep that God has given him. So again, Peter knew these words well and were told to him by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, John 21, verses 15 through 17. These are the exact words that God, through Jesus, told Peter on that day. So it's up to the pastor to hand feed the newborn sheep. The word is bosco, and the word here used in this verse is that. And uh, he used it also with Peter, and that was to feed the newborn sheep. The word bosco means to hand feed, but then the other ones were to pastor the older sheep. That is find a grass for them, but they're to eat. In other words, you feed your baby. You put the bottle in the mouth, but after a while you put them there and they say, here's the food, you eat it. This is the difference between an immature believer and a mature believer. Make sure you even have some classes for those recently born again to bring them up to speed, to help grow them a little bit where they can come in with the rest of the congregation and receive the fullness of the word of God. So the mature sheep need only to be brought to grass. They can eat by themselves. So the pastor is to prepare the sermons and lead the sheep to the finest food available. The sermon should be prepared days, even weeks in advance. And finally, the sheep, the congregation in this verse of scripture, belong to God, which he has purchased with his own blood. It says right there, he purchased the sheep with his own blood. Therefore, whoever purchases owns. You don't own the sheep. Jesus gave his blood. He owns them and the sheep actually belong to God. The pastor doesn't own the sheep. He's tending another man's flock. 
Moses watched over Jethro's sheep. David watched over Jesse, his father's sheep, but they didn't own the sheep. The shepherd is hired by the owner to watch over the sheep. The responsibility for food and finances is not the shepherd's, it's the owner's. The pastor doesn't provide for the sheep, the owner does, God does. The pastor also can't make the sheep do anything. He can only teach them. Where they go to church and how often they attend is between them and God, not the pastor. The pastor can instruct but not force the people to do anything. Peter tells the pastors not to be lords or dictators over the sheep, but examples to the flock in 1 Peter 5.3. Paul told Timothy to exhort with patience and teaching. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2 when people leave to go to another church, the pastor can't demand they stay or even pronounce a curse over them for leaving. If they're going to a church which is wrong or filled with false doctrine, then the pastor should warn them, but leave an open door for them to return. But if they're going to a good church, the pastor must release them as seed sown. The sheep are God's property. And in verse 29, Paul says this, I know this, that after my departing, grievous wolves will enter in among you, not spraying the flock. Paul said, listen, I'm about to go, but I can tell you what's gonna happen in the future. Wolves will come in among you. Wolves are unbelievers. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They're not actually sheep. They come in acting like part of the congregation. They can spout the right words. They can use the word salvation, Christ in you. They know all the phrases we use, but they come in because they want to split the church. Jesus talked about them. Wolves represent unbelievers, Matthew 7, 15, Luke chapter 10 and verse 3. They come from outside, Colossians 4, 5. They desire to destroy the work of God. They're dressed up in sheep's clothing, and this is what they're doing. They don't seek the people to follow after them. They only desire to destroy the work of God. And then in verse 30, he says this, Also, out of yourselves, from your own selves, shall men arise speaking perverse, distorted, or twisted things to draw away disciples after that. Listen, this is the worst group. The ones that come in from outside are more easily recognized because they're sinners. These are people you trust and know that one day down the, down the road get a false idea, begin to think of themselves better than they are, and they think that they can now twist some things from the word of God. And because they're not getting the size of congregation they want, they're trying to draw away disciples after them. Notice this, they're not trying to get sinners to come to the church and get saved. They're not trying to get immature believers disciples. Well, they're after disciples. They're after your best people, your best supporters, the ones that have been there for years, the best givers, the one that love Jesus and love you and love the church. And they rise up because they know they have something and they have a position and some trust by the people and they use that trust and twist it. And they speak twisted things, distorted things. And this is the worst group. They rise up in arrogance from within the church. They know correct teaching, but they twist and pervert it to draw people after themselves, to themselves, and away from God. Second Timothy brings this out. In fact, these two were there. Second Timothy 2, 16 through 18, avoid irreverent and empty discussions. They increase to more ungodliness. And their words will eat like gangrene, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, whom concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection is already passed and overthrow the faith of some. 2 Timothy 1.15, Phygelus and Hermogenes are brought out in these verses of scripture. These four were probably sitting there when Paul was preaching this because all four of them were in the church at Ephesus and rose up with twisted things to draw people after themselves. And Paul said, this is gonna happen. Once I'm gone from outside, wolves will come in in sheep's clothing. 
those within your own group, in fact, maybe sitting here right now, are gonna twist these things around. I'm sure everyone's going, no, 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 not me. And one day it came. They weren't promoted like they thought they should be. And while Paul is saying here in this verse of scripture, you'll learn to face it. God knows it's coming. God's gonna handle it for you. Trust in him. Thanks a lot. I hope you've enjoyed this series on the anatomy of revival. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.